welcome to The Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. Yes, we've reached 100 episodes. I can hardly believe it. Hi there, I'm your host, Jenny Wheeler, and when I started this podcast two years ago, my first modest goal was to reach a respectable number 50, and now look at us. I'm absolutely thrilled. We've talked to 100 fantastic mystery, thriller, and romance authors recording their wins and losses and giving you, their readers, a chance to discover new books you'll never want to put down, all found on the website with links in perpetuity. To me, that's an exciting achievement. And I'm just as enthusiastic about adding the next 100 new authors to the list. But we're pausing just for a moment to celebrate by doing something a little different for our centenary podcast. For our 100th birthday, I'm swapping seats with thriller author Annie Seaton, and she's going to ask me the questions for a change. Annie was on episode number 62 of the podcast, talking about her romantic eco-thrillers. So when we met up and got talking at a writer's conference recently, she seemed like the perfect guest host to put me in the firing line, asking about how we got started, what we've learned, and where we might go next. But just as a cherry on top of the cake, we've also got an exciting giveaway. Five e-book copies of my latest book, Unbridled Vengeance, out this month, in a draw for lucky readers and listeners. Here's how to enter. Harsh land, a bitter rival. Will a vicious double murder destroy Sacramento Ranch's hard-fought legacy? Strong on suspense, light on romance. Unbridled Vengeance is book five in Jenny Wheeler's Of Gold and Blood, Old California. Easily read either as a standalone or as part of the series. Enter the draw on the joys of bingereading.com or on the binge reading Facebook page. We'll select one winner a week for the next five weeks. Offer closes November 19. Thanks for that. And now here's Annie. Hello there, Annie, and welcome to the show. It is great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much for letting me sit in your chair today. It's lovely to be on the other side and to be asking the questions. (laughs) That's great. I'm sure you do really well. So shall we start? Yeah. Okay. So, Jenny, tell me what led you to want to begin a podcast? Well, Annie, look, when I started in this writing game nearly four years ago now, it took me a couple of years to basically understand what the new publishing landscape looked like. And I was starting to get all of this information about how you had to do blogs and have this thing called an author platform, which I'd never really heard of author platforms before that. And 
I've done lots and lots of blogs in the past for a business that I was associated with, nearly a thousand blogs for a business that I was associated with. And the idea of trying to start another blog just left me absolutely cold. I couldn't summon any enthusiasm for it at all. So I thought maybe I could do a podcast and that would work in the same way as a blog. It would help me to just get a little bit more credibility in the publishing scene, but it would be a lot more fun and a lot more interesting. So it, it honestly was a bit of a blatant attempt to help to establish an author platform, but it's become so much more than that as I've gone along. Well, it's certainly been successful to be up to our 100th episode of Joys of Binge Reading. Yes. So well, what I'm interested to hear is how did you come to decide on the format that you're using, you know, interviewing mystery authors from the viewpoint of readers? Well, when I looked around at what podcasts were out there, and I was already listening to a few podcasts myself, but the, the market seemed to be very well supplied with people who were giving other writers advice about how to write books. Most of the, many of the writing podcasts were of that vein. They were from writers telling people how to write and market their books. And although that's a fantastic um, area to be in. Number one, it seemed to be quite well catered for. And number two, I was just starting out. So I didn't really feel as if I had enough knowledge myself to really be able to give other writers advice. And But by the same token, quite a few of the reader podcasts seemed to me to be very kind of serious and they mainly tackled literary fiction. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to do something that tackled genre fiction, which is the area that I'm working in and I guess I've got a little bit of a bandwagon in that I really think genre fiction has been undervalued in terms of the level of skill and um, craft that's that's put into it and especially in New Zealand we still seem to, seem to really focus more on the literary fiction writers than the genre fiction writers. We've got some great genre fiction writers who've got a popular following, maybe a dozen books published and they still have difficulty getting reviews in, you know, more sort of serious magazines. So I thought that's where I'd focus it and I've really enjoyed doing it. That's fabulous and certainly good for those authors. So what have been the high points of doing the podcast? I think that it is really honestly talking to the writers. Every single person that I've spoken to, I've loved the interview. I feel as if I've learnt something. In some cases, I've had a real sense of, making a friend that I could sit down and have a wine with somewhere in the world, you know. So that has been, and, and every single one I've learnt something from them. So actually, even as I go along, it has helped with the writing craft side of things. And also I make a rule that I will read at least one book of everybody that I interview, usually try and read the most recent book they've published so we can talk about the most recent one from the point of view of readers. And honestly, that's kind of given me a tremendous, almost what you would call speed dating kind of approach to getting a whole lot of a wide range of books and authors read in a short time. And I feel more and more as if I'm starting to really get a feel for what we, we need to be doing as writers. Oh, that's great. And I'm sure that um, other authors will be listening too, and I have had many authors of um, other authors, colleagues of mine, say that they have listened to it and got a lot out of it. So that being said, do you see yourself carrying on for another 100 episodes? Yes, look, it is time-consuming. There's no doubt about that. It, it really is probably... 
50% of almost of my time is spent either trying to find new authors to interview. And, and I have a great strike rate in terms of people saying yes, but every now and then you'll get two or three in a row that you think, oh, they, they'd be great. And you either don't hear back from them or they say, no, they're too busy. And so it takes quite a bit of time to both enlist the authors and do the reading, but it's really worth it. And so, yes, I will keep going, but I'm not saying that it won't evolve. I'm going to put out a bit of a question to question list to the people who listen to the podcast, asking them if they want to see any changes. I think I've let it get a little bit too long. I should maybe carve it back to 30 minutes. I might even vaguely consider getting a co-host in or getting other guest hosts now and then. Just mix it up a bit so it doesn't get too boring and predictable. But I, I will keep going with it. So you're cer certainly learning on the go as you continue with it. What other lessons have you taken away from the experience? Um, I think it's interesting because, you know, we're very much in this digital marketing world as authors and there's a very wide range of appreciation for that from the authors that I interview. Some are really, really switched on about the digital marketing and sort of social media, promoting themselves, promoting the podcast. And some are completely not really on that page yet. So it is a little bit of an introduction as well to the very, very wide range of different authors that there are out there. And from traditionally to digital self-published. I mean, I don't focus particularly on indie authors or traditional authors. I, I more just allow myself to be led by the spirit in terms who I, of who I'll chat to next. But there is a very wide range of appreciation of just where the market is and what's happening. And of course, it's changing all the time. Well, you're an author as well, and you've been writing full-time for the whole time you've been doing the podcast, so let's put you on the spot that you always begin, the question that you always begin with. Was there a once-upon-a-time moment for your fiction writing, and if so, what was the catalyst? Quite honestly, no, there wasn't. Um, I couldn't pick any particular moment, but I think I always had a little bit of a underground thought that someday I might I might try my hand at fiction. It wasn't anything like I would die unfulfilled if I didn't do it, but it was always there as a little subterranean thing. I remember at one stage in my midlife when I took a holiday from being a newspaper editor and the minute I took the holiday, I got sick and was in bed. And that week, I spent a week in bed and I started a novel in bed and I thought, there's something here that I feel as if I need to do and the minute I get a bit of spare time, that's what I do. And then, of course, when I had to go back to work, that novel never, ever saw a, a, the light of day again. So, um, and then when I, but when I finally, quotes, retired, I mean, I'm not retired, but I sold a business four years ago. I was in a business with my business partner for 17 years. And when I sold that business, I thought now's my chance to really see if I can do this fiction thing. I had one really close friend from school days and quite often when I meet her socially, she'd say to me something like, Jane, you haven't written any books yet. I'm really surprised. I thought that's what you do. And Jane was like a little bit of a kind of a little prodder in my side, reminding me that actually all those years ago, we, I think we both thought that that's what I'd end up doing and I hadn't yet done it. So yeah, that's that's really what came about. So when I had the time and space, I thought, okay, 
I'm going to try this now. This is my next project. And you certainly started, but of most interest to me, why historical mysteries and most particularly why old California? Well, I have spent years as a member of the Romance Writers of New Zealand. I've been a member of probably for 12 or so years. So, so I have attended their conferences and I've learned a lot of craft from their conferences even before I started writing. And I originally thought I would write romance because that seemed the obvious area for a woman if you were looking at genre fiction. But over the years, I, I mean, number one, the romance scene changed a lot with Fifty Shades of Grey and things. And secondly, more and more, I became less and less enamoured of the idea of trying to do romance myself. It just didn't sort of fit quite for me as the main thrust of a story. So I turned to thinking about other sorts of fiction and mystery was an obvious one. Mystery with a, a romance subplot. I, I'm fair, I think the romance is absolutely necessary for the emotional content and I love having that, but I didn't want it to be the main point of the story. And I think partly because I have never felt that getting a man is the main point of a woman's life or that, quotes getting a man is going to solve all your problems, probably create more problems than they actually solve, sorry to say. So um, <laughs> I didn't want to do anything that would promote the idea that the point of life was to find the right man. So, yeah, that's that. Historical because, honestly, the, the contemporary scene is changing so fast now and I feel so out of touch with what the younger women would be doing and how they're living their lives that I didn't think... I didn't feel I could write contemporary urban fiction very convincingly. I might still think about trying my hand at contemporary fiction set in a provincial town, which is less kind of up to speed with all the new gadgets, etc. But I didn't feel comfortable about contemporary. And I love history. I did a history degree. I've always loved history. So that was the historical mystery. And Old California, I grew up near a gold mining district in New Zealand on the Thames coast. And my childhood, we spent holidays there. And I used to, it's horrific, horrific to think of it now with health and safety, but as kids, we used to just hive off in the hills and go into these old mine shafts. And I used to often lump, lump home lumps of quartz. I don't know why, I just was quite fascinated by these lumps of quartz from these old gold mines. So when I started thinking about a historical period, the gold rush period really appealed to me, but I didn't want to set anything in New Zealand. I just didn't want to do that. And I felt California gave a wider canvas and I wanted an international audience. So that was really, it, it, was, it was a strategic thing in terms of where I wanted to place myself as a writer. It sounds very well planned to me and obviously successful for you, but you seem to have chosen right from the beginning to indie publish rather than seek a traditional publisher. Can you tell us why that is? I guess it's because with all the other stuff I was doing with the podcast and stuff, I was getting a sense of how the publishing landscape has changed. And I came through newspapers and then I went through magazines. And in each of those environments, I was in a period of great disruption of the industry and I saw what happened. In the last, I was in newspapers in the 1980s and I could sense that newspapers were 
changing. I know they're not quite dying, but the sort of newspapers we were doing was definitely dying. It had a limited time. And then I moved into magazines and a similar thing started to happen there with digital competition. And so I came into it, I guess, with a bit more of a mind as to how the industry was changing. You know, when I first started going to Romance Writers annual conferences, my utter goal would have been to get a contract with the people that you write for, Mirror. I I thought they had great books. I would have loved to have been a Mirror author. But by the time I got to actually writing myself, I just felt that that was a completely unrealistic and unsuitable goal for me because because of my age, I need to start writing fast and getting a lot of books out there for a backlist. And traditional publishers mainly want one book a year from you. Well, I need to do more than one book a year if I'm going to get any traction as a writer while I've still got a brain. So um, I I realised I had to write fast. And also, just at my age, I honestly don't think a trad publisher would want to invest the money in it because when they take on a new author, they're really looking at your production period it's a bit like having um you know a prize bull or cow you want to know how how much production you're going to get out of them and someone at my stage of life they probably think oh her years are pretty limited it's not a good bet so for all of those very realistic um things and also being indie is actually really exciting it gives you so much more control and after years in the corporate world where I had to always be dancing to somebody else's tune um I think that was also a great appeal to me. So it's certainly not easy and it's probably even harder than I thought it was going to be, but I definitely think it's the right choice for me. Well, you certainly got a plan um, worked out for your writing, which is fabulous. Now, changing the subject again, why 1860s California particularly? Because um, the gold rush itself, 1849, that first 20 years of the gold rush It was a very hard society where women had a very limited role. I mean, the histories all say that the women were either boarding house keepers or soiled doves, basically. And I wanted to be able to write in a society where women had a lot more um, agency, where there were children, institutions were starting to be established like schools and hospitals. So once again, I really wanted to have an era where women had more choices, had more respect. They weren't just a sideline to what the men were doing. And the the late 1860s going into the 70s uh, seemed like a really interesting time. California's developing incredibly fast. They've had this huge influx of people. The other thing I loved was that it was a very international society. And when you give give us what's happening in the US at the moment. That seemed like a lovely challenge to present an international society where although there were some very well-known conflicts, there was also a lot of acceptance of new people and and new nationalities. So, yeah, all of those reasons that struck me as being extremely interesting. The thing I didn't realise, actually, was that publishers and agents regard 1860s California as the West in capitals, so that I did make, I did do a couple of pitches to agents at conferences and they said, 
oh, you're writing a Western. And I said, no, no, it's it's actually not a Western, but it gets categorised in that Western category. And that has made it a little bit more difficult from the marketing point of view. I don't understand why 1860s California isn't a period a bit like Regency England, which has got dozens and dozens of people writing in it. And I realise as I go along that I'm almost trying to create a new sort of exciting period in genre fiction as well as sell my own individual books. But that's a whole other story. Well, you may start a trend. We will wait with interest. So <laughs> now you're six books into the series. How many are you planning? Um, I hope in this particular series that I'm doing to get to at least 10, maybe maybe more, but I have got 10 in mind. And then I think I'll still stick in this period, but maybe do some sort of spin-off. I haven't thought that far ahead, but I do love this period. And it kind of, it, it aligns itself a little bit, you know, with the fascination with Regency, how it's so hard for historical romance authors to break out from that Regency period. And yet uh, I've discovered this author, actually, I came across her at that last conference we went to, Joanna Shoup, who is having quite a bit of success at creating an interest in the Gilded Age New York period. And that's another period that I think deserves just as much attention as Regency England. And I hope that we see a lot more writers pile in and look at Gilded Age New York. And I think Gilded Age California also would be another very interesting time period. So I feel as if we've got these time periods that haven't yet really been mined for their stories. So there's plenty of room for the younger ones coming on behind us to, to find new territory. So many stories to be written. Yeah, that's right. Hey, let's move to your wider career. You've had a very full and busy life as a journalist and a newspaper and magazine editor before you turned to full-time writing. How has that life experience helped your writing? I think that, I mean, obviously the podcast was it was easier for me probably than it would be some people because I was used to interviewing people. And I'm naturally, the reason I was a journalist is that I'm naturally curious and like asking questions. So, and I think that as a journalist, you develop a bit of a sixth sense for the things that people aren't saying that that will produce some spontaneous line of inquiry that becomes really interesting. You discover little things you didn't expect. But also I think the other ma major thing is it it trains you to write no matter how you're feeling. And I mean, I don't want to feel as if I'm attracting some sort of curse, but I truly don't allow myself to ever think that I'm going to um, have writer's block. I just know that I get up and write. And I think that, you know, I've, heard, I've had other writers say the same, a lot of journalists say the same thing, that the one thing journalism taught them was that they just keep writing, that you don't have to feel like it, you just have to do it. And, and I think that's actually a real benefit on the days when it feels hard. You just can say to yourself, look, you're doing this. It's not whether you feel like it or not, this is what you do. It's that work ethic kicking in. Yeah. <laughs> is there one thing you've done perhaps more than any other in your writing career that you see as a secret to your success? Look, I, I honestly don't think I've had that much success yet. I haven't managed to sell many books yet, but I really live by a quote that I heard from 
a romance writer, Stephanie Lawrence, who came to one of the early RWNZ conferences, and I was really impressed with her. I think she's an oncologist turned romance author. She was a very smart lady, and she says her advice to aspiring writers is to not expect to get anywhere unless you've written as as many as six books. Well, don't think you'll get anywhere until you've written at least six and possibly as many as 12 books. So at the moment, I'm just more or less using that as my flotation device. I'm reminding myself, Stephanie says, you shouldn't even expect to get anywhere until you've got at least six books out there. And um, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm publishing five and six later this year. Five is coming up next month and six the month after that. So I feel as if I will have reached some plateau at the end of this year and I can take stock and perhaps give a bit more thought to marketing, which I haven't really, I certainly haven't mastered the marketing side of it yet. Well, that's fabulous advice. So it sounds like you're going to be busy if you're heading for another four or five. So when you're not working, if there is time that you're not working, how do you relax? I love the outdoors. I mean, I'd love to spend more time in the garden. I regard the garden as something that's a reward I give myself if I've worked hard enough. And unfortunately, I'm not getting in the garden as much as I'd like to. And I do do quite a bit of outside exercise. I do walks in the bush and that kind of thing. So yeah, outside is what I love. Sounds fabulous. Okay, let's turn to Jenny as a reader. This series is called The Joys of Binge Reading, providing inspiration for people who like to read in series. So turning to your taste in fiction, who do you binge read and do you have any recommendations for your listeners? Yes, I I like that idea of people have got used to binge washing with Netflix and so now they turn more to binge reading and also with digital books. You know, if you get a, a, a sudden urge to continue with the series at midnight, you can just download it and start reading it immediately. So books are a lot more accessible than the days when we used to have to wait a year for our favourite author to produce the next thing. So, but I mean, I've been a real bookworm all my life. I mean, I've, I was one of those who started off with Enid Blyton, you know, the Enid Blyton, and then read all my life. When I was at university, I remember finishing off university exams and binge reading on Ian Fleming and the James Bond series for about two weeks, just as total relaxation. So, um, and in more recent times, one of the people that really attracted me when I was thinking about writing was a writer called C.S. Harris, who perhaps isn't terribly well known, but she's written a a terrific, she is still writing this terrific historical mystery series called the Sebastian Sincere series. And she was an inspiration for me when I was thinking about what sort of books would I like to write. I thought I would love to do something just like C.S. Harris. I mean, my voice is different from hers, so they're not really like C.S. Harris, but she was a real inspiration for me. And now since I've been doing the podcast, there's quite a few authors who I'd really like to continue to follow, although with the amount of reading I have to do, that's a bit of a luxury. I don't get the chance to just read the books I'd like to for much time. But, I mean, at the moment I'm reading the Scottish crime author Val McDiarmid, and I think she is just fantastic. I've just got really gripped by her voice. And there's another, an English journalist living in France called Martin Walker, who's doing a Bruno series in a little 
French village in the Perigord where this police policeman is um, situated. I quite I love those sorts of mysteries. And then um, some of the ones that I've talked to on the podcast, I loved Rhys Bowen and her historicals, Nicola Upson and her Josephine Tay series. They are magnificent. And I love Jessica Fellows and the Mitford murders. I think I like mysteries that weave in some real factual information, you know, like a little bit of the journalism coming in with the fiction. So things that have got real history, real life in them that you learn information about places and people and events as you go along, they appeal to me. Julia McElwain's um, Kendra Donovan series, it's a time travel series where an FBA agent goes back to 1815 London. I think she did that one very cleverly. So yeah, there's a whole lot of people that I'd, I'd love to be able to continue to follow. And when I have a little bit more time, they would be on my reading list. It's just not enough hours in the day. Is there there isn't. There isn't. <laughs> okay, so at this stage of your career, let's circle back to the beginning now. If you were doing it all again, what would you change or would there not be anything you'd change? Look, honestly, I'm one of those people who believes that you make the decisions that you have to make, you know, when you're faced with the range of options that you've got. And so, no, I don't. I don't actually regret anything. I mean, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, you've left, you run too late. It doesn't matter to me really what happens in the end with my books. I mean, obviously I'd like to be able to continue writing and um, produce a good body of work, but um, I am just really enjoying doing it so much that it's kind of like my next adventure and we'll just see where it leads. If I If I have another good... 10 years of life with my brain power still reasonably functioning, then I probably will end up with a good body of work. But, you know, I have had my three score years and 10, so who knows what the next 10 are going to hold. I just really don't know. But, no, I wouldn't change anything. Everything that's happened, I really feel I, I do have a sense of I've got a, a faith walk and I do feel that God's hand has been over it all and that what's happened is meant to be. So, yeah, I'm happy. And that's a great philosophy in life. So tell us, what's next for Jenny the writer? What Are there any different projects in the works for the next 10 years or the next year? Let's start small. <laughs> the next year. I'm just going to be continuing with this Of Gold and Blood series. I've got book five coming out next month, and that's actually just gone to the formatters. So all the editing is finished. It's I don't do my own formatting. That's something that... I've got these lovely people in Tasmania, Polgara Studios, who do my formatting. It's such a reasonable price and they're so good at it. I don't think it's worth me trying to learn it. So five is with them. Six, I'm just finishing off the very last scenes in. But I must admit I cheated a bit. Six is a novella because when I went to Romance Writers, I was a bit depressed about the fact that I was only going to be putting out one full-length book this year. And I went to a workshop about writing to length. And I thought, look, I should do another novella before the end of the year just to say that I've done two books this year. And I had a I had a novella in mind. I had a couple that I knew I wanted to write a novella about. There are a couple that appear in book five. It was a natural progression. So I came back from Romance Writers in August and immediately plunged into this novella, which is now just about finished. So I can say that I did two books in 2019. And I had book what was going to be book six, 
which is another full length one. I'd already started quite a lot of plotting for that before August earlier in the year. So I've got that to jump into in January and I hope to have that one through by about March, April next year. That'll be number seven. And then I do have to take a deep breath because I haven't really thought much about number eight. But yeah, I'll keep plowing on with our golden blood. Um, then I might look at doing a spin-off series in the same. I, I really love this period in, in Californian history and moving in into the 1870s and the Gilded Age. So I really see myself continuing to progress through that. In the back of my mind, I've got the thought of maybe doing a provincial mystery series set in a Coromandel town in New Zealand like Whittianga. I have a long association with Whittianga now. My business partner for many years lived there and we owned property together and I still have a section there with a caravan on it. So I have a great place in my heart for Whittianga and I've thought a town like Whittianga, I'd love to do a mystery series. My my partner was a retired talkback host and there's a dangerous possibility that the, the hero of this series might be a retired talkback host. I'm not quite sure whether that's ever going to happen. <laughs> it sounds fabulous. Okay, let's move on to Jenny the podcaster. Do you see foresee any changes coming up there with your podcast? I, I do think that you probably have to keep changing to be, you know, re- recognisable and to be interesting. And I know that podcasting is changing hugely. Every, You know, the way it sounds on the web now is that it quotes everybody is trying to get into podcasting. There's a huge surge in the interest in podcasting. So I, I haven't really had the time to look at the whole podcasting field and try and analyse it and strategize about it. I'm just kind of ploughing on with what I'm doing. But Yes, I I do think there will be changes, but what exactly they are, I don't know. I just want to stay relevant and interesting, that's all, and not get predictable. And I'm not quite sure what that will look like. Well, we'll watch that with interest. So, Jenny, just to finish up, tell us where readers can find you and your books online. Um, my my website is jennywheeler.biz, B-I-Z, and there's everything there about my books at, at that site. And then the, the podcast site is thejoysofbingereading.com. Every writer that I interview, we do an extensive transcript of the interviews with links to their books. So there's now over 100 authors there that, that listeners can have a look at, you know, dig around, see the ones that they might enjoy following up on and, and find a new suggestion for what they're going to read next. So yeah, both of those spots. I'm on um, social media and we're just about to launch a Pinterest site. I've, I've been really doing quite a lot of work in Pinterest because I think that the books greatly lend themselves to, to a Pinterest uh, uh, presence. So that's what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm using an Australian author, actually, an Australian romance and mystery author called Lucinda Brandt as my model for that. She's got a fantastic Pinterest page. And uh, maybe it's an ambition of mine to interview her sometime. I haven't yet looked at that. But yeah, so Pinterest is the next big adventure. 
Well, you're certainly one busy lady and I admire your work ethic and I'm so looking forward to going and digging out your books and having a read when I finish my next deadline. So congratulations on your 100th podcast and thank you so much for providing such a fabulous service to both readers and authors. Thanks, Annie. It's kind of you to say that. Thank you. Harshland, a bitter rival. Will a vicious double murder destroy Sacramento Rancher's hard-fought legacy? Strong on suspense, light on romance. Unbridled vengeance is book five in Jenny Wheeler's Of Gold and Blood, Old California. Easily read either as a standalone or as part of the series. Enter the draw on the joys of bingereading.com or on the Binge Reading Facebook page. We'll select one winner a week for the next five weeks. Offer closes November 19th. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with, no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.